We're going to have our reading now, and our reading is from Matthew's Gospel, from chapter 6 of that, so if you could find that in your Bibles or on your apps, that would be superb. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. That's Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Phil's going to come up and take us through that passage now. But as he does, I'm just going to pray for Phil. Heavenly Father, we just want to um, come before you now to listen to your words. We want to thank you for the work that, that Phil has put in this week to, to look at your word. And we thank you for the way that your spirit has been working in him to, to hear what we should be listening to this morning. And so, Father, we just do pray that our hearts and our minds would be open and ready and fertile ground, ready to hear your word and to hear how it will take root and grow in our lives. Father, help us to hear you through Phil this morning. Amen. Well, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this Sermon on the Mount and we've seen how Jesus starts by sitting his disciples down to teach them about living out his kingdom in everyday life. So he gives them the Beatitudes that describe the Christian character in general. And then he shares the specifics, illustrations of how Christians can live in this world and apply that character to different areas of life. And he teaches his disciples to acknowledge their failures and their need for a relationship with him. At the start of chapter 6, Jesus helps his followers see how they can grow a Christian character and draw near to God so that their characters shine out amongst men in this world. And in our passage this morning, Jesus teaches his disciples what they need to let go of in order to live out all that he's been teaching them so far in the Sermon on the Mount. And it might be that this series in, in the Sermon on the Mount has kindled a hungering and thirsting after righteousness in a fuller and a deeper way, and yet your frustration is that you're just not getting anywhere in spite of it. Well, perhaps what Jesus says here really helps. 
because there's an obvious link between our passage this morning and, and all that's gone before. Because the passage, because what's gone before can be summarized, as we saw last time in the Sermon on the Mount, as living in the audience of one, walking with God closely. It helps us see that hungering and thirsting for the presence of God, for the sake of being close to God and walking in his presence, is our highest goal and our most intimate need. The audience of one. And Jesus wants us to see that that's, that's what we need. And that's why he teaches this, what, he, what he says in this passage. And we need to hear this. We need to hear about treasuring heavenly treasure because there's so much to treasure in this world that we can lose sight of the riches of where Jesus wants our hearts to be. Treasuring heavenly treasures. And there are three things that Jesus wants us to see about what we treasure. And the first is to recognize the control that earthly treasures have over our hearts. Recognize the control that our treasures have over our hearts. So let's look at verse 19 together. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. That's what it starts off with. And he's making the point that we need to know, know your heart, understand it. Peel back the layers and see it for what it is. Because Jesus is assuming that by nature we are storers of treasure. So he doesn't say, for example, well, if you, if you, if you get around to storing up treasures, uh, well, make sure it's heavenly treasure, not earthly treasure. He doesn't say that, does he? His basic assumption is that we will store up treasure because that's what our nature is like. And what Jesus means by treasure is more than simply money. He, treasure is about things that give us value and worth, and our natural inclination is to grasp after those things, to store those things, to invest in those things. Why are we treasure storers? It's because we're sinners. How so? Well, sin is by nature rejecting God's love. It's rejecting his validation, his approval. And sin is seeking to live life without his love and his authority over us. And that means when we reject God, it leaves a hole. Why does it leave a hole? Well, it's because we measure our value by the value of the people we value. Let me explain that a little bit. I'll say it once more. We measure our value by the value of the people we value. In other words, if you're sitting on a, car, on a park bench, if you're sitting on a park bench, and I spot you from the other side of the park, and I go sit down next to you, there will be many, many things going through your mind at that point, but my value is not very big in your worldview. Okay, you're not going to go, oh, Phil Velicott has sat next down to me, sat, sat down next to me on this park bench. He's picked me out of all the other people in the park. I am treasured. You're not going to do that. What if it was your sporting hero, Harry Kane, Jessica Ennis? What if they did that, picked you out in the park and sat down next to you? Bang! I am valuable. I am considerably worth more than anyone else here in this park. What if it were the queen? Mom, 
What if it were Jesus? Can, can you see? We measure our value by the value of the people we value. So when we reject God, who is the ultimate value giver, the ultimate validator of our lives, that person we would most want to sit down next to us on a park bench, we leave a hole. And we need something else to give us that identity, that meaning, that worth, and that value. So it's our nature, therefore, to be treasure storers, to have things that we can invest our time and energy and money into so they fill that God-shaped vacuum. We are constantly searching for treasure, things to fill us, to satisfy us, to validate us. And we have to open our eyes to how our world has worked that out. For example, young people, you just have to think about the power of the ping. When your phone pings to say a new message has landed or to say that someone has liked your post or, is, or you've been tagged by someone, how does it feel? Doesn't the ping make you feel good because it means that we've been affirmed, validated? Someone has replied to us, mentioned us, included us, liked us. The ping announces that our worth and value has been increased. And that's why our response is to pick up our phones and get to work responding. The power of the ping says that we're, we're, the more active we are on social media, the more likes and affirmation, the more the God-shaped vacuum is filled. The same works in fashion, in clothes. In the clothes we wear, the better the brand, the more exclusive the label, the more valuable we feel. The same goes for work. The higher up the ladder we feel we are, the more affirmation we get from our peers. And then there's the fancy titles in our social clubs. The captain of the cricket team, the golf club chairman. And to have the bevy of the people around us desperate to be in our sh shoes and associate us with us is validation. Do you see how treasure is not merely money? It's identity in things that give us worth and value and meaning. And we're hungry for it. We're all secret storers and counters. And, and by that I mean we, we measure our value based on what we treasure. We're measuring our value against those who do not have what we treasure or even do not treasure what we treasure. Have you noticed that? So because of this, Jesus says, don't do it. Don't store up earthly treasures. Because he wants us to recognize the control that they have over us. And he wants us to see they are always fleeting and decaying. Look at the rest of verse 19 with me. Don't store up treasures uh, for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Earthly treasure is just not going to last. That's what Jesus wants us to see. And even when they do last, they don't stand for anything on Judgment Day when it really matters. And also, because our treasures are always open to decay and loss, when we ground our identity in them, it creates a fragility, an anxiety about losing them. Our hearts become controlled by them, by their health, by their value. Young people, how does it feel when someone stops following you on Instagram? And you notice, you notice your little, you know, number of people following you go down, and you kind of go, who was that? What have I done? 
What have I said? Who's more important than me? Tim Keller said this in his book, The Reason for God. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. Worship your body and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before it takes you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will never ever, you will, and you will need ever more power to numb you to your own fear of those who want to take it from you. Worship your intellect be seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid and a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. In other words, if our treasure is beauty, we'll feel ugly. If our treasure is power, we will feel fearful. If our treasure is intellect, we will feel stupid. If these things are our security, we will always feel insecure, and the fragility of life, our anxieties, our anger, is purely because we treasure things on earth. We need to see it. We need to open our eyes to what we truly treasure and the damage it does to our soul and our relationships with those around us and with our relationship with God. Our treasures control our hearts. How do you work out where your treasure is? Well, one, day, one way, or perhaps the best way, is to follow your money trail. By that I mean just sit yourself down and ask yourself, where does my money go most effortlessly? If, for example, it's sport, what does it feel like to spend money on the season ticket or the new kit? Doesn't it feel fabulous and exciting? Or what if you treasure music, what does it feel like to effortlessly spend money on a concert ticket or the latest album? They're not wrong in themselves, just make, let me make that clear. <laughs> They're not wrong in themselves. But this is following the money trail, the effortlessness with which you're happy to invest in these things. And compare that to someone recommending a great Christian book for $5.99. How do you feel? How do we feel spending money on that? Following our money trail and being honest with ourselves about the effortlessness with which we spend our money on certain things, it tells us about our treasure. Someone wisely said, money is the chain that enslaves you to the real things that drive you. I'll say that again. Money is the chain that enslaves you to the real things that drive you. So it's helpful for us to take the time to tease out the things that control us. It could be knowledge, it could be beauty, it could be control itself or independence. It could be investments or work or affirmation by friends or family. Recognize the treasure. Recognize the control it has over our hearts. And that's the first step to being able to truly treasure the kingdom of heaven. Let's move on to briefly look at verse 22 and 23, and, and then what we'll do is we'll finish by looking at verses 20 and 21. The second thing that Jesus says about our treasure is that our treasure will shape our minds. Look at verse 22 and 23 with me. The, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is within you, if... if if then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
Verse 22 and 23 underline what Jesus has been saying in this opening verse. They explain the impact of investing in earthly treasure. So when Jesus talks about the eye being the lamp of the body, it's his way of describing the way in which we look at things. And here's the subtlety of it. Our treasures determine the way we look at things. They, they, they shape the way we look at things. In other words, whatever our treasure is, then we will look at the, the, the way we look at this world will be guided by that. For example, if we're consumed by the pleasure of sexual fulfillment, then sexual fulfillment will be the lens by which we view those around us. If we are consumed by seeking security in financial investments, then we will view this world through the lens of the accumulation of wealth and wealth accumulation or opportunities. We will be miserly. So there's no such thing as a secret treasure because whatever we treasure, it will not only affect the way we spend our time and energy and money, it will affect our thinking, the way we view this world and others. That's what it means to have unhealthy eyes and a life driven by darkness. And Jesus wants us to see that our treasure will blind us to a pure, a greater, a more wonderful way of thinking about this world, a beautiful perspective. The more we invest in our earthly treasures, the darker our world, the more insecure we will be, the further away we will be from Christ and the light of the glory of the kingdom of God. Look at the promise, though, in verse 22 as well, that if our eyes are healthy, when we treasure things in heaven, we will look at this world with the right perspective, and our minds will be focused on the light of God's progressive revelation and of his glory and love. That's his promise. But we might be wondering why it is that this makes so much sense in theory, and yet when it comes to practice, it's so hard. It might be that we're sitting here um, watching this on TV. We might be here live, and we might be asking, well, what's the trick here? What is the trick? How do we actually get this right perspective? How do we implement what Jesus is challenging us to do here? Because the reality is so difficult. It's difficult to have the right perspective when there are so many treasures on earth to really invest in. It's so difficult when our hearts are naturally wanting to fill the God-shaped vacuum with other things. What does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Well, it brings us to our last point of our passage, and it's simply this. Relocate your treasure. Relocate your treasures. Look at verses 20 and 21 with me. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus wants us to see here is that we need to find our meaning and security in hope, and hope in heavenly treasures. He wants us to remember that heavenly treasures will not perish or spoil or fade. What are they? What is it? What is heavenly treasures? Well, it's less of a what and more of a who. 
let me read to you from 1 Peter 2, verse 7. Uh, it, um, he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a, ch- a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. The Greek literally says, this stone is precious. He is our preciousness. In other words, Jesus Christ, God the Son, is the ultimate treasure, the ultimate foundation of life and eternal life. He is the one who will ultimately feel, uh, fill the God-shaped vacuum. How do you relocate your treasure How do you lose the grip of earthly treasures and set your hearts on Jesus? Well, let me be very blunt this morning. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus. Because it's possible to believe in Jesus and still be really hard at work treasuring other things. If all you think is that it is enough to believe in Jesus, then that is the reason why you're afraid of the moths and the rust and the thieves breaking in and slowly eating away at what you really prize. That's the reason why you've got this fragility and instability in your life. To treasure Jesus is this. Look with me at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, earthly treasures and heavenly treasures are mutually exclusive. If you want to start treasuring Jesus, you have to love him, to be in love with him. You have to be consumed by him. And doesn't it just take us back to that very first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, but theirs is the kingdom of God. If we truly love Jesus, if we truly understand that that he is our all and our everything, we will be truly poor in spirit. That he has done everything and is our everything to us. And we will know the kingdom of heaven by it. It takes us back to the, 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 not serving two masters, takes us back to that point. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to recognize how truly, truly wretched we are both spiritually and materially. It's to recognize that nothing in this world can satisfy. It is to recognize how much we need Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to come into our lives and to take away our sin. It is to realize that we have nothing in and of ourselves that can and will gain or earn that validation that we are seeking from God himself, and only Jesus Christ can give it. That is poverty of spirit. That is not serving two masters. That first beatitude has shaped absolutely everything we've been looking at. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, please go back to it again and again and memorize it and 
lay it on your heart and let it fill you and consume you and define you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we understand that the promise is the kingdom of heaven and the promise is we will only serve the true master, Jesus Christ. There it is. There it is. He's been saying it right through the Sermon on the Mount. Unless you've got me, you're not rich. The only treasure that cannot be devalued is Jesus. The only person who will sit down on the park bench next to you and give you true value is Jesus. And unless we relocate our treasure into him, we will never be filled, never be satisfied, never be blessed. We need to treasure Jesus. And we all know that, don't we? Even if we're not Christians here this morning, we've heard enough about Jesus this morning to say that we need to treasure him. To fill that God-shaped vacuum in our hearts that has been left because we've rejected him. And to start to treasure Jesus is to see why he came to earth, to realize and understand that, listen, look at him. Just look at Jesus for a second. Take a step back and look at his glory and majesty. Before he came to this world, he was, he was enthroned in the highest heavens. Glory and light enveloped him. He was the center, the genuine center of the universe, and yet he came into this world. How did he come into this world? As a poor and pitiable baby. How did he live this life? As a, as a wanderer. He once said, well, foxes have their holes. They've got their homes. But I've got nowhere to lay down my head. That's how poor he was. And he left the heavenly treasures and came to endure the poverty in this world and not just that, endure the punishment of taking our sin on the cross. Why? Because he treasures us more. Is that not phenomenal? Does that not just blow us away that the treasure, the darling of heaven, came into this world and endured God's wrath for our sin because he treasures us? And therefore, let me read you 1 Peter 2 verse 9. I'm sure we've read it a million times, but think about it in that context. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Again, the Greek literally says we're God's treasures, his treasured possession. So when we see that Jesus has treasures us, that he has made us his treasure through his death on the cross, then money just becomes money. Our need for social affirmation dies because he affirms us. He validates us, not the ping of the fame. How much less addicted to ourselves and our stuff and our agendas would we be if Jesus is our everything? And the reality is we've had a brutal year in lockdown, haven't we? None of us have emerged unscathed, either materially or mentally, and we carry the scars in some way or another. 
It doesn't it say, and, and this is what I really want us to understand and, and really grasp on hold of this morning as well. Doesn't it say something about God? That in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of this kind of rebuilding phase of slowly coming out of lockdown, God is shouting at us this morning to employ our every resource to know and love Jesus more. Doesn't it say something about God that he loves us? That, that, that this seems to be the repeated message week after week after week, both in the morning and in the evening as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and through James. Doesn't it say that God is willing to condescend to bring his message down to us through his word so that we might know the light of his love? God says Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't that what we've been learning through James? Jesus has said here, don't store up your treasures in earthly things. That's a waste of time and money and effort and energy and validation seeking. Store up your treasures in heaven. When Jesus validates you, when you say to him, Lord Jesus Christ, I am the most pitiable person on the world. I am truly poor in spirit and I need you. His promise is you will be given the kingdom of heaven. And the question I ask is, is that ever going to change when he validates you? Is he ever going to turn around and go, well, I'm not sure? No. Because he loves us. And he treasures us. He truly, truly treasures us. So doesn't it say that in this phase of putting our lives back together after lockdown, if God is saying this both morning and evening, week after week after week after week, then this must be the one thing we must truly need above all, to treasure Jesus. Let's treasure Jesus this morning. Let's understand we are treasure storers at heart in our nature and being. And Jesus challenges us to store up treasures in heaven and treasure Jesus above all things. And the beauty is this instruction would not be in the Bible. Jesus would not have sat his disciples down and told them this if it were not possible to do so. Jesus has given us new hearts if we trust in him. And listen, if you haven't trusted in Jesus this morning, now is the day of your salvation. That's what the Bible says. You've heard about the truth of the glory of Jesus Christ. Respond to it by asking him to be your savior and your Lord. Come and see me or ask a friend afterwards, but do that this morning. Why? Because Jesus gives us eternal life. Jesus gives us new spirits. Jesus gives us a new perspective, a new way of seeing this world. Let's ask him to help us to love him and to treasure him more than the earthly things we treasure. Let me finish with these words of, his, of an old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory.